Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, Amy, for reading the word this morning. Uh, here at City on a Hill, we value God's word. We believe it is authoritative. We believe it was, is without error. And so we submit our lives to the scriptures. And so as we come here in a minute to hear from the word, uh, we are putting ourselves under this uh, teaching because we believe it is good news and is what God has given us for our good. Um, again, you can fill out that connect card by, uh, by uh, going to that QR code. And we again, we'd love to connect with you. This is a good way to get our newsletter if you're not already signed up for that. And again, we'll send you those those two free gifts. Uh, a couple of announcements before we get into the word this morning. Next Sunday, we are going to be gathering in person, which we are so excited about. We're right now gathering together once a month in person. Uh, the, the other weeks, we're obviously here online and uh, we're doing this socially distanced. And one way that you can help us is by pre-registering. So if you fill out, uh, if you actually, if you go to the registration that you can see here on the screen, um, you can do that and uh, it will help us be able to plan and make sure that we provide a, a safe and, and uh, engaging environment for you next Sunday. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Come invite a friend, be a part of that with us. And then also another thing you can do is you can download the Church Center app. If you go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, just download the Church Center app, put in City on a Hill, Church Forest Hills, and there you can get connected to um, a, a Connect card. You can find uh, groups, events. You can give through the Church Center app. It's a great way for you to stay connected here at City on a Hill. And then lastly, we are going to, after the election, we don't have all the details yet. Um, this is a really tense election this year um, and, and one of the most tense moments in our country's history. So we want to make sure that we provide space for people to process and to pray and to seek the Lord and really figure out how do we as God's people live uh, as a faithful witness in this moment. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's vision for what the kingdom is going to look like. Jesus is coming. With, he came with a kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really important, and it tells this story. And as a church, we love the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has really influenced us. Our name comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, all the way back toward the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus says that his people would be a city on a hill. Um, that they would be shining, that others would see them. It'd be this place of, of, of safety, this place of where, where people could come and be known and loved and, and, and cared for. Uh, and then also our mission as a church, our mission statement is derived from this, that uh, we want to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as king. And so with a kingdom, you have to have a king. Jesus is our king. And so we are called to submit all our lives, all of our lives, everything in our lives to Jesus. And it means that this good news applies to everything, absolutely everything in our lives. Jesus has something to say about. And because he says that we trust it and we believe that his vision for our life is good and that it leads to flourishing. Jesus is a king and specifically Jesus is the king of our hearts. Jesus is the king of our lives. And so as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount over the last several weeks, we've seen this idea that it's all about your heart, not just your outward appearance or your outward performance. And so it requires a righteousness, basically a way of living that emanates from a new heart. And so 
As we wrapped up chapter five last week, we've been in this section about this deeper heart level righteousness that you need to fulfill God's law. That uh, when it comes to anger and lust and the words you use and, and, uh, and, and loving others to do so in a way where we don't use other people, we don't devalue other people, we need this new heart to live a wholehearted life that our inside matches the way that we live. And so not many of us came out of that unscathed. We were all convicted there in some way or some form because we've all got all of that stuff on our hearts. As Christians, we're not saying we're better than other people. We're saying that we all need Jesus together. We're all broken, all looking to this new king. And so, but maybe you did find yourself getting out kind of unscathed over, uh, coming out unscathed over the last couple of weeks. And you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm pretty good. I don't get angry all that often. I I love people pretty well. Um, But really, if you're saying that, one, you're not being honest with yourself. But secondly, following Jesus with this heart level righteousness is about more than just not doing bad things. In fact, here in chapter six, verse one, Jesus is saying that you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness, you know, doing good things before other people in order to be seen by them. You can do a good thing with the wrong motive. And in chapter six, Jesus goes through three very common religious practices in this day, uh, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And he said, you can do these things in such a way that it's really all about you and not about pleasing God. And so this morning, we are going to unpack the idea of money and what money and generosity or lack thereof says about your heart. You can be generous in order to make yourself look good. See, every good deed that we do without God's glory in view, the Bible says that we do it for ourselves. We do it to make ourselves feel good. And Romans 3 says that everything we do like that is like filthy rags. You can do the right things, good things, but deep down make it all about you. And speaking about this, C.S. Lewis, a great thinker and and Christian philosopher, said in this beautiful poem called As the Ruin Falls, he says, all this is flashy rhetoric about loving you. I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you, all my friends, merely to serve my turn. We can take good things, doing good things, doing religious things, and make them about making ourselves look great. So how do God's people live in a different way? Well, our big idea that we're going to unpack today is that gospel people are generous people for the right reason. Gospel people are generous people for the right reason. So how do we approach giving to the poor, being generous? How do we approach our money in general in such a way that we do it with the right motives? We want to be truly generous. So what's that look like? Firstly, we see that true generosity is shown in what you want from it and what you want from generosity. In other words, what do you want when you give money? What are you trying to get out of it? In the ancient world, it was a very common practice to give to the poor. And so what would happen is that it was was this phrase called giving alms. And so you would give alms, and this was an expectation. It was expected that you would give to the poor. If you look at the beginning of verse 2, Jesus says, thus when you give to to the needy, not if you give to the needy. It was an expectation that you would be giving to the poor. 
And so back then there were, there was no welfare. There were, there were no programs. There were no food banks. There were no real opportunities. So the community itself had to take responsibility for their poor. And they saw this as a, as a justice issue. They saw this as something that would be made right. And, and Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. And he said, you need to take responsibility corporately for these people. This was a common understanding. And in fact, it was a very well-organized system. They had a really good system for giving alms to the poor, but like any human system, it can become corrupt. It can be used to our own advantage. And what began to happen is people would use giving to the poor, a very philanthropic act, a very giving act, and they would make it about their own status. They would make it about making themselves look good. So giving to the poor, it's expected, but Jesus is saying there are two approaches that you can take and they're both about getting a reward. So one of these, it's about the approval of others. You see at the end of of verse two, it says, uh, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And so what would happen is it's like, you know, literally tooting your own horn, making a spectacle of how you would give in, in both the synagogue and in the streets. See, when someone would give in the synagogue, they would, they would have these large brass horns is what they looked like. There's usually like 10 or 12 of them at the, at, toward the entrance of the temple. And when someone would walk in, they would take their money and they would throw it in the horns, kind of like a modern, like an ancient, like offering plate. But what would happen is like back then there, there wasn't paper money. So you had a coin that you would throw in and when it made, it would go in, it would make a, a clanging sound. So imagine what would happen if you took a large amount of coins and dropped them in that brass horn. It'd be a loud bang and everybody would turn their heads. Everybody would begin to look. And so when Jesus is talking about the issue of the widow and the widow's might, and she was giving a, a, a very small portion, giving out of her deep poverty, it wasn't just that she was giving sacrificially. He was talking about how this was a corrupt system that was used to make people look good. And the expectation that she would be called to give everything she had showed the corruption of the system itself. Jesus says, if this is the way that you give, this is your reward. Your reward is the praise of others because what you're doing in doing this is saying, look at me. Those who would give in this manner are saying, look at me. It's all about yourself. Jim Gilmore is, a, is an author and cultural expert, and he wrote in the Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago about this idea of giving in order to be looked at. And he came up with this, this new phrase called narcissthropy, which is a combination of narcissism and philanthropy. In other words, it's giving sacrificially, giving to the poor, giving to these causes in order to be made much of, in order to, for others to look and say, you know what, this person values the right things. This person does the right things in order to get status and credit. But Jesus says that if you're giving like this, this is all you get. If you're seeking a reward of the approval of others, you're not going to get the approval of God because that's your reward. Your reward is what you really wanted. And that was others to look at you and think how great you are. But Jesus says there's a right way to give, a right motive to give to the poor, to give sacrificially, to give generously. 
He says in verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the opposite of trumpeting your own goodness or greatness. He says that God sees this and he honors you. He rewards you. So Jesus says this, but does this mean that you, no one should ever know what you give? Again, we have to read the entire Bible in context. See, not exactly. See, in Acts chapter four, Barnabas was honored for his sacrificial giving. He sold a field and he gave it as kind of this this ethos of generosity in the early church. He was honored for that. What Jesus is saying here is don't give in such a way that you're trying to get noticed. Don't make it about you. Don't beat your chest. Don't read your own press clippings. Make it about God. Deflect the glory away from yourself toward God. And that's the key to getting reward. And see, the way we get reward and what we expect is all about how we approach God. And how we approach God determines motive. You can approach God for reward in the way that you give, either as a boss or as a father. If you have a boss, you apply for a job, you're, you're hired to do a job. And if you do a, if you do a good job, you get a paycheck. They pay you. That's your, that's your wage. But if you do a really good job, you, you might get a bonus. But if you do a bad job, you're fired. There's no relationship. It's just functional. It's transactional. It's I do, therefore you give. But a, approaching God like a father looks different because You don't apply to be in a family. You're born into a family or you're adopted into a family. And when it comes to God's family, you're chosen by God. And that completely reorients the way that you understand reward. It would be like if one of my daughters came to me and they said, Dad, I I want you to give me $10. And I'm like, okay, why? Well, we want to buy mom a gift. We saw something at the store and we really want to get it for her. And so as a father, if I'm moved by their heart of generosity, even though I'm the one giving them the money, because I I see what they're wanting to do, they're wanting to love and bless their mom, I'm moved on their behalf. But here's the the question. Is my daughter $10 more my child? No. See, this is the difference between a boss and a father, is that a father approaches reward through a grace-oriented relationship. And so now you're getting reward with the father, not just from the father. So where are you seeking to get reward? Reward's not the problem. We are wired for reward. We're wired to, re- to want long for reward. So, so the question is, is why do you want to give to others? Why do you want to serve others? Why do you want to give of your time? Is it to please God or is it to get other people to like you? What's your motivation? We live in a city, actually one of the most giving cities in in America. Boston is a very wealthy city. Um, Massachusetts is, I think it's the sixth most most generous state in the country. And so there's a lot of people who are giving a lot of time. And we could jump into that rat race and say, we want to give to the right things and do the right things in order that others would approve of us. But we want to love our city and serve our city and give ourselves away generously for our city, not to make ourselves look good, but to deflect that glory to God. 
See, reward is, a, is an issue of the heart. And it's an issue of what you trust. See, secondly, true generosity is seen in what you trust. So we're going to jump from verse four over to verse 19. Don't worry, we are going to cover verses five through 18, but um, uh, we're coming back to that in the coming weeks. Matthew six is kind of built like a pyramid. And so the Lord's prayer sits right at the top of it. It's the, kind of the crown of it. It's the jewel in the crown. And so we're going to come back to that here over the next couple of weeks. But the idea of reward here is connected to what you trust, or as Jesus says, where you lay up your treasures. We always do what we want to do. Every person does what they want to do because that's what you think is going to give you the most happiness. Always. We always do that because we are hardwired for joy. We are hardwired for reward. Why do we know this? Because God created us and he created us to enjoy him. He created us to find real tangible joy in him. And so the Bible actually says that we are to rejoice in the Lord in some form or fashion over 29 times. In Psalm 37, 4, um, the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So there's this call to delight in God directly but also to find joy and reward in God through everything that we do. First Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are wired for reward. We're wired for, we're wired for joy. So what that means is that you are trusting in something to give you reward. You're looking for something or someone to thrill your heart and to fulfill the desires of your heart. And so that's why Jesus gives us a warning here. He says, do not lay up your treasures for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, you are going to be tempted to place your trust in places that are not going to last. Don't lay up there. Literally, don't treasure your treasures. See, things on earth where moth and, moth and rust destroy, back then there were no bank accounts. And so the way you displayed wealth was through your, your possessions. It could be through some fine pottery or artwork or often clothing. So they would build, make clothing out of really good material and they pass it down through the ages. But if you weren't careful and you didn't store it right, moths would get in or rust or mildew would take those beautiful items and it would destroy them. If you didn't put your precious items in a safe place, a thief could come along and take them. If you, what Jesus is saying is if you lay up your treasures or your hopes in something on earth to give you joy or reward, it's going to let you down. And the way he connects this to verses one through four is that if what you're treasuring is the approval of other people, and that's what you're treasuring here on earth, it will decay. It will let you down. How foolish could that be? And if you trust your money here on earth or your resources here on earth, it's foolishness. See, for us, we do actually deal with physical money or our bank accounts and the way that we use our resources. So our generosity or lack thereof actually shows how money affects us. Money can blind you, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the light? Money can cause us not to see rightly. It's so important to be able to see. You could be totally healthy. You could be an Olympic level athlete. But if somebody drops you into a cave with no lighting, 
You're going to stumble everywhere because your eyes give light to the entire body, the ability to understand how to operate and move and make decisions. And at the end of verse 33, it says that there's a type of light, a lesser light that keeps you from seeing the most beautiful things. We live in a city with lots of lights. And when you look at the sky, you can't see the stars because all the city lights are drowning out the more beautiful light of the stars. That's what money does. It blinds us. And most of us can say, you know what? I I know I, I get angry sometimes. I know I lust after 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 the wrong things or the or or the wrong people. I know that um, I use my words wrongly or I fail to love people sometimes. But no one actually thinks that they're greedy. No one thinks that he or she is greedy. But also, no one thinks that they have enough. A recent study showed that five percent, only five percent of Americans, believed that they were rich. And in fact, only thirteen percent of millionaires believe that they were rich. No one would say they're greedy, but no one thinks they have enough. And so how do you know if you're trusting money over Jesus? How do you spend your money? What do you spend money on or resources or time effortlessly and joyfully? Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's drink. Maybe it's just stuff. Could be experiences. And we do vacations and we do dinners and we do, you know, entertainment. It could be status. It could be how, what, how much money you spend on your body or your appearance or, or clothing. Or what about money makes your stomach hurt? Makes you agonize, makes you worry, makes you want to grab for control. If you trust and put your treasures and, and hope and things here on earth, they're going to fail you. If you trust in money, there will never, never be enough. If you trust in what your body looks like, it's going to fail you. If you trust in your intellect, you're going to find somebody who's smarter than you. If you trust in relationships, your self-image is going to go up and down based on people's opinions of you. But in verse 20, Jesus says that there's actually something you can trust. That's not going to rust. That's not going to be destroyed. That's not going to be stolen. That when you lay up your treasures in heaven, you're laying up your hope in the love and the provision of God for you. Colossians verse chapter three, verses one through three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you hope in heaven, when you hope in the love of God, do your problems go away? No, no but it helps you see rightly. It's the light that enters the eye and helps the whole body operate. It frees you to give generously. It frees you to trust God. But trust is also wrapped up in what you love. Lastly, we see here that true generosity reveals what you love. True generosity reveals what you love. Verse 21 is the key to this entire passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the key because trust is a matter of your heart's deepest desires. Your heart is is not just feelings. Like in our our culture, we talk about our heart. We generally mean feelings. But the way the Bible portrays heart is this, this is the idea of who you really are. It's so, so it's, it's a lot more than just your feelings. It's, it's, it's saying that you 
the trust says a lot about your heart. It's what you look to in order to be okay. Or as James K.A. Smith says, where we rest is a matter of what and how we love. This is why money and generosity matter is because they're matters of love. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your what? Your heart, your being, your person, yourself, soul and strength, everything you are. Love God with who you are. And then he said, there's another one like it. So in the same, in the same way, love with the same intensity and purpose, love your neighbor, including the poor as yourself. Ask yourself this, do I consider how to love God and love others in the way that I spend my time, my money, and my resources? Am I a generous person in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that my trust is not here on earth, but it's in God in heaven? What you love determines how you live. And this is why verses 21 and 24 connect with each other. Verse 24 is vital. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two kings. You can't serve two people telling you what to do. You can't serve both because one always wins out. I grew up a massive Atlanta Braves fan, but when I moved to Boston, I decided I'm laying down all sports allegiances but that one was a tough one. So when the Braves and the Red Sox play each other, I have to make a very conscious decision that I am going to pull for the Red Sox because there is a war between these two loves. In the same way, you will love one and hate the other. And so for some of us, for some people, you might be thinking outright rejection. You know what? I'm going to reject God because I need to get mine. But for most of us, hate takes on what the Bible often refers to as loving less. It's not that you don't want to love God. It's not that you don't want to serve God. But money and what it gets you, approval and security, actually shape your life more. And they direct how you live. One will not only be the master, but it will make the other serve it. So if money is your master and money is your king, what begins to happen is that you begin to shape God and you begin to shape God's word, the Bible, into your own image. And what begins to happen is you explain away passages about loving the poor and the oppressed and and giving generously because then the Bible never can contradict you. It can never challenge or convict you. You can't serve two masters and you can apply this to a lot of other areas. You can't serve Jesus in politics. You can't serve Jesus in sex. You can't serve Jesus in relationships. You can't serve Jesus and ambition. You can't serve Jesus and control. You cannot do it. But here's what happens when Jesus becomes king of your life. You have a hope that's unfading, that can't be taken away. And he begins to show you everything else in your life, including how you can be generous in light of the hope of the gospel that you've received everything that you need in Jesus. And now you can give freely out of, an, out of a new heart. So what does this mean for us as City on a Hill Church? We're a new church. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to faithfully live out the gospel. Rodney Stark, is, uh, is, uh, he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity. And in this book, he answers the question, why did, the, why did Christianity rise in the Roman Empire? 
And he said one of the essential keys to growth was this, that they were radically and unboundedly generous. Radical and unbounded generosity. And Stark said that this shocked uh, Emperor Julian, who around 360 was the Roman emperor. It shocked him so much because he said the impious or irreverent people, people we don't like, these impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. What would it look like for City on a Hill to be a generous church in such a way that blows away our neighbors, that floors them? What if we partner with neighborhood partners and, and organizations and we just bless them, no strings attached? What if we gave to one another in, in, in a way that the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing? And these things are happening. We're partnering in and loving on uh, our local high school and the YMCA where there have been people in our congregation who've met tangible needs for other people. What would it look like for us to give sacrificially through foster care and adoption, either to foster on our own or adopt on our own or to do respite or to give financially? What would it look like for us to be a church that gives above and beyond a church planning to see every neighborhood in town in New England have a Bible preaching church? So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you on a couple of things. The first is I want you to examine how you view money. Really dig deep and think about this. Maybe you need to budget and think about what do I need to cut back on? Maybe you need to make, take, do, think through some financial literacy and how to get your, 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 your finances straight. Maybe you need to pay down debt. We would love to help you with that. If that's something you're interested in, just fill out that connect card, put the word finances on there. That's private. That won't be shared by anybody but, but myself and our leadership team. And we'll love to follow up with you. I challenge you to give. Give joyfully and sacrificially. Give humbly. Give, give as the Spirit leads you and connects you to the way that Jesus gave to you. Give of your resources. Give of your time. Give of your money. Give of your preferences. Give in such a beautiful way. And lastly, let Jesus be the king over your heart. Let him be the king over your generosity because it's rooted in this. Jesus gave it all for you. He left the riches of heaven. He, he lived in poverty here on earth. He died broke on a cross in order that you could know God and experience the riches of his grace. Have you trusted that Jesus? Let us give as generous people because we're gospel people. Let's pray. Let's pray.